Good morning, Mark Madison here on Books and People. And since books is in the title of this podcast, what better way than to shamelessly self-promote my new book, Old Light Through New Windows? I thought I'd share a few more chapters with you today. Chapter 30, five simple ways to make people like you. Tower Records was a place to meet your friends. Your coworkers are a place to meet new friends who shared a common love of music, literature, and all things cultural. Colin Hanks, actor or director. Why do some people attract strangers and others repel? What if there were five simple but proven ways to get people to like you instantly? If you're brave enough to get out of your comfort zone and adopt these five simple strategies, people will want to spend more time with you, but they won't know why. They'll just know they like how you make them feel about you and about themselves. How do I know? I've tested these for the last 35 years. They work. Let's be clear. They're not clever, manipulative strategies. They're a way of being, a philosophy, habits to form that few people understand or actually do. Moreover, they work very well from the stage, on Zoom, and one-to-one. Number one, have a go-to story. When you tell a story, pay attention to the response. If your audience laughs or cries, you struck a chord. Tell it again as soon as possible, but not to the same audience, if you can help it. And as you retell it, tweak and adjust it. Improve it using effective pauses. Go to work on your timing. If it's a funny story, give your audience a chance to laugh. Just wait. Comedy is a dialogue. Your part is the story. Their part is the laughter. Let them laugh. Remember, deep practice. Number two, act out the story. When you tell a story, you're playing a part, like a role in a play. Use your voice to emphasize certain aspects. Don't be afraid to do impressions. They don't even need to be good. I use a British accent when telling a story about my English mother. Use your whole body, move around, wave your arms. Think of it as human cartooning, as Jerry Seinfeld likes to say. Raise your eyebrows, smile, laugh uproariously, and have fun telling it. Three, self-effacing humor. Make fun of you. It tells the audience you're not afraid to poke fun at yourself. And when you do it, they don't get to. So beat them to the punch. It tells your audience you're comfortable in your own skin. It will endear you to them. More importantly, choose something about yourself that you can make fun of. Even if it isn't entirely true, that's okay. Lift up your spouse, I married up. Or my children are so much smarter than I was at their age. Or I know what you're thinking. I thought this guy would have a lot more hair. That's one of the things I say when I present. Number four, tell stories that lift other people up. She's the cool breeze in a stuffy room. Or that guy's forgotten more than I'll ever know. It doesn't cost you anything to give someone else the credit. Word will get back to them. Say nice things behind someone's back. Be a good finder. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Five, ask well-thought-out questions when you're not on stage, when it isn't your turn, and actively listen to the answers. This is the time to be other-centered. Avoid the temptation to talk about yourself. You had your turn. Give others some stage time. Ask open-ended questions, who, what, where, when, how, and why, and just listen, nod, smile, and say, that's so great, you must be proud. Or ask, how did you get started in this industry? Or how did you two meet? That's one of my favorite questions, to ask a couple. Everybody loves to tell the story about how they met. There's even a sitcom 
How I Met Your Mother. It's magic. It's like rain to dry flowers. There you have it. Five great habits to adopt and practice. You'll be amazed at the results. Simple, not easy. It means getting comfortable being uncomfortable. You'll attract key people into your life. You'll win new friends. You'll influence others. And your income and popularity will increase. I promise. So here's my question to you. Will you attract or repel? It's your choice. Chapter 31, past, present, and future. If you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right, Henry Ford. Yesterday, I went into Victory Studios in downtown Seattle to record a 30-minute keynote that'll be delivered virtually next week. What a brave new world in which we live. I had a ball. I did it in one take. My client was delighted with the finished product. I prepared like crazy. And here's the process. Submitted for your approval, as Rod Serling used to say. One, I asked the client what his objectives were, exactly what he wanted to achieve in the time that I had. For me, 30 minutes is harder than 90 minutes for one simple reason. What do I leave out? Two, I mind mapped what I wanted to deliver, then listed the points in order, making certain the segues were smooth. Three, I kept in mind that keynotes are more about entertainment than education, but I still needed to blend my clients' objectives with some learning and powerful takeaways. Four, I gathered up my best signature stories that are tailored to his industry. He's the largest contractor in Arizona. Five, I began by wearing my COVID mask and then taking it off, followed by some self-effacing humor that worked. Six, I typed up my set list, stories, exercises, quotes that I would use in their order of importance, putting key words to remind me what to say on the videographer's iPad that was positioned next to the camera. This allowed me to maintain my focus on the camera instead of looking down at my notes. Seven, I moved around during my presentation, acting out stories. We placed markers on the floor so I would stay within the camera's lens and not wander out of the shot. Eight, the night before and the morning of, I affirmed my speaking goals dozens of times and visualized getting it done in one take. Nine, I added some new material that was in alignment with the client's objectives. The themes were think different and we got this. And number 10, I decided to have fun. After reviewing the video later that day, I was confident we'd hit a home run, but it wasn't until my client sent me an email saying that he was ecstatic that I knew all the preparation was worth it. He confirmed we'd enjoy a long-term relationship and I'd be coming down to Arizona a lot over the next few years, and that's been true. One of my messages was simple, yet profound. It fell into the category of both universal and personal. I said simply, one, let go of the past, mistakes of sins and of omission and commission. Two, cherish the present. That's all any of us really has is today. And number three, envision the future. What are you looking forward to? Part of me believes the name of the studio helped, Victory Studios. It was a victory. Chance favors the prepared. I used a formula for my presentation, five to one. I spent five hours preparing for every one hour of presentation. To the Tyro, that may seem obsessive, but if you wanna deliver a world-class presentation, remember what Sir Anthony Hopkins once said in an interview about preparation and acting. I read every script 250 times. And when the lights come on and the camera rolls, I abandon the script and I act. I went over my set list today after reviewing the video. I covered 90% of what I'd prepared 
and in one take. And I stopped at 27 minutes and 50 seconds and did two bonus outtakes. Chance really does favor the prepared. Chapter 32, let's have an advance. Without reflection, we go blindly on our way, creating more unintended consequences and failing to achieve anything useful. Margaret J. Wheatley, writer. Friday, January 1st, 2021 at Edmonds, Washington. It's 46 degrees with gray skies and a 40% chance of rain and a 90% chance of reflection and journaling. The next three days set the table for the rest of the year. It's not a retreat. It's more like an advance. I do it every year. I'm not making resolutions. I don't believe they work. I'm a goal guy. It all started when I accepted a sales position in 1989. My boss asked me what I thought I could sell in the coming year. I boldly predicted 150% of plan. I'd been a technician for the 10 previous years, so his expectations of me were fairly low. By year's end, I'd hit my target. I was 150% of sales plan. He was ecstatic. I was jacked. As I mentioned previously over the holidays, I went into the office to organize my desk and files when I stumbled across an article in Contracting Business Magazine about best-selling author Harvey McKay. It changed my life. Among other things that inspired me and I learned about Harvey was I discovered he read five hours a day. That blew my mind. It was also a rock in my shoe. I began reading books for one hour a day, then two, then three, and my life exploded into change. And I've never looked back. Today, I read 50 pages a day in a book in alignment with my number one goal. One very old book I found in a musty used bookstore, the title has long since faded from memory, asked some questions that I've since asked myself over these many years, and now I'll share them with you. As you reflect on the coming year and the, and the year past, number one, what did I learn this past year? What were the most important, profound lessons? Two, what were the blessings from this past year? What was most meaningful? Three, what do I want to achieve this year? What are five goals that I'd like to accomplish? And focus on the what and the why, the how will come. The key is balance, spiritual goals, financial goals, wellness goals, family goals, interpersonal goals, learning goals. What skills do I want to hone and improve this coming year? Five, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What gives my life the most meaning? And five, how can I increase my service to others, knowing that my rewards in life are directly related to the quality and quantity of my service to others? I used to go to the ocean for three days by myself. Now I live on the beach, so I simply turn off my phone, unplug my TV, make a big pot of coffee, grab a fresh blank journal, and put on some Bose headphones. And I play some pleasant music. I'm fond of traditional Japanese flute music with lots of running water, very soothing. I go back over my journals the past year. I usually fill up four or five of them every year to assist me in answering the five questions. I wrote in my first book, Freedom from Fear, the palest ink is better than the strongest memory. Moreover, I choose a book I think might just inspire me. The one I chose for this year was suggested by my old friend, Mark Sangerman. In 1992, by able example, he challenged me to begin reading the New York Times every day. The book is Think Like a Monk, Train Your Mind for Peace and Purpose Every Day by Jay Shetty. Thanks, Mark. I can attribute much of what I've accomplished the last 31 years to the simple commitment to reflection and imagining. I love my life. I love my work. I love my family. I love my friends. I love my clients. And I love living in the greatest country in the world, 
the best of 2020 will be the worst of 2021 for me and mine. How do I know? Because I'm going to answer the five questions above and get to work this year to achieve them. The best is yet to come. I've learned a few simple truths over the last 63 years that's changed my life. And what follows are a few nuggets from my journal. I thought you'd appreciate some of them. One, I need to figure out what I want in life and then learn how to ask for it. Two, I become what I think about. Three, the books I read don't help. Four, I keep a journal so I can get from the day, not just through it. Five, life is short. I choose to seize the day today. Six, today is the tomorrow I worried about yesterday. Seven, I reap what I sow. Eight, everyone is looking for three things, appreciation, respect, and understanding. Nine, I never learn anything when I'm talking. Today, I seek to dominate the listening. Ten, my grandchildren don't listen to a word I say, but they watch every move I make. Eleven, every person I meet is my superior in some way. That's a quote from Emerson. And twelve, I'm constantly amazed at how stupid I was two years ago, and the cycle keeps repeating. That keeps me humble. Gotta go. I've got some questions to answer so I can advance. How about you? Chapter 33, listen up. I remind myself every morning, nothing I say this day will teach me anything. So if I'm going to learn, I must do it by listening. The late, great Larry King. Jerry Seinfeld does a brilliant bit about up and down. Wait up. That's what kids say. They don't say wait. They say, wait up. Hey, wait up. Because when you're little, everything is up. The future is up. Everything you want is up. Wait up. Hold up. Shut up. Mom, clean up. I'll let me stay up. Parents, of course, are just the opposite. Everything is down. Just calm down. Slow down. Come down here. Sit down. Put that down. I love that. My parents' generation was fond of saying children should be seen and not heard. That just might be the worst thing I ever heard growing up. I made it a point to encourage my boys to talk about their days, their feelings, their ideas, their thoughts, their points of view. As parents and grandparents, we all need to listen up. You probably never heard of Dick Bass. He was the son of a Texas oil baron who was known for going on ambitious mountain climbing expeditions and talking about them at length to anyone within earshot, including a man sitting next to him on a cross-country flight one day. Bass went on and on about the treacherous peaks of McKinley and Everest and the time he almost died in the Himalayas and his plan to climb Everest again. After over three hours of nonstop talking, as they were about to land, he realized he'd done all the talking and he hadn't even properly introduced himself. And his seatmate said, that's okay, as he extended his hand to shake it. I'm Neil Armstrong. Nice to meet you. Dick Bass needed to listen up. In the early stages of my professional selling career, a mentor helped me close a large sale. In point of fact, he saved my bacon and stepped in when I was struggling to finalize the deal. In the warm afterglow of closing a $250,000 deal, he turned to me as we walked to the car and said, nice going. I know you worked hard on that for a long time. I said, thanks, Bill. And then he said, have you ever studied Carl Rogers and the skill of active listening? No, I replied. That's obvious, was all he said. I invested the next year studying the art of active listening. It changed my life. 
Gary Nosner was the top hostage negotiator for the FBI for over 30 years. He said, I think a good listener is someone who is open to hearing someone else's experiences and ideas and acknowledge their point of view. I've been teaching corporations to actively listen for over 25 years, thanks to my mentor, Bill. I share a simple formula that works. Let me be clear, this is not a clever strategy or a sleight of hand to manipulate other people. It's a philosophy, again, a kind of way of being. Along with empathy and kindness, it's what I like to call other-centered. Listening actively is one component of that philosophy. So here it is. LPQP, listen, pause, question, paraphrase. Listen actively, pause three to five seconds, question for clarification, and paraphrase emotions and meaning for understanding. So let's break it down into four component parts. Number one, listen actively. That means you're totally focused on the other person. You ask open-ended questions. Who, what, where, when, how, and why? Or how did you get started in your industry? Then lean forward, take notes, nod, stay focused on meaning, intention, and most importantly, emotions. The second element, pause three to five seconds. Here's how long that is. That's an eternity for some people. It's hard to do. We don't like the uncomfortable silences. I literally count to five silently in my head. And you know what? 80% of the time before I get to five, the other person will start talking again. It was a comma, not a period. It was a semicolon, not the end of the paragraph. Just be silent and wait. It's astonishing how people will continue. Number three, question for clarification means asking, how do you mean, or can you give me an example? You think you understand their intention or their feelings, but probably not. Clarifying questions ensures you understand completely. The person talking will tell a story or provide an example for clarity. It's so simple, but it isn't easy. And finally, paraphrase for understanding. That sounds something like this. If I'm hearing you right, you're frustrated about the way your boss treats you. Or you're sad your previous vendor didn't keep their word. If true understanding exists, they'll explain or they'll exclaim, exactly, or yes. Now I have noticed that in the Southeast, they'll say, right, with like five eyes. I love that. I encourage my clients to write a listening goal on a three by five card that simply says, I dominate the listening in every conversation and people enjoy being around me. I dare them to read the card four or five times a day for 30 days. That's how long it takes to form a new habit, a new positive habit. What follows is a test, the homework. Here's what I'd like you to try. For the next week or two, see if you can get every person you meet to talk about themselves for 15 or 20 minutes without them knowing they've been doing all the talking. It's so simple. It just isn't easy. It's a little bit like folding your arms the other way. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it, but it'll change your life. And people will tell you things that don't tell their barber, their banker, or their best friend. Once the skill becomes a part of your DNA, it's amazing that the people that you meet will want to spend more time with you, but they won't know why. Again, barber, banker, best friend. I never learn anything when I'm talking. My good friend, Larry Zollinger, one of the finest, most successful sales professionals I know, likes to say, listen twice as much as you talk. He claims he learned that from me. 
He's being modest. He's being kind. He's already a great listener. When I met him in Austin, Texas, 14 years ago, I don't want to be like Dick Bass. I want to be like Neil Armstrong. After all, he's been to the moon and back. How about you? Jerry Seinfeld had it right. Slow down and listen up. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.